the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All righty then. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. We're underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 23rd morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023, day number two of Lent. So uh, those who are practicing, those who are observing, good luck in keeping your Lenten vow. Uh, it's tough. It's tough for everybody. And uh, for those who don't do it and don't get it, well, um, I hope you have an awakening someday and you do get it. I'll just leave it there for now. Uh, appreciate you being with us. We've got a good program lined up for you today. In an hour at 1010, we're going to talk with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is one of our leaders in the culture war, as you know. And Dr. Piper, not only does he have a, a great column out this week in the Washington Times, which we'll talk about, but Dr. Piper is raising awareness, as are some others, particularly in the evangelical community, about that Asbury revival that we talked about last week and praised. The Asbury revival down in Kentucky, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, we mentioned it with Dr. Piper last Thursday. And it had been going on for well over a week at that point, and then it extended to two weeks. The Asbury Revival was the Asbury Christian College, a very small college in Kentucky, that started doing a prayer service, uh, like I said, about a week before last Thursday-ish. And um, 
they didn't want to leave. And they kept singing. And they kept, you know, it didn't start out as a quote-unquote revival. It was a service. Uh, students at those small Christian colleges like that oftentimes have to go as part of the requirements to chapel or services like three times a week. So this particular one, they just were singing, as the story goes, and they were so inspired and uplifted and felt themselves becoming closer and closer to one another and closer and closer to God and clo- closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And the the service ended and they just kept singing. And they didn't stop. And they kept singing more and more hymns, more and more gospel, more and more songs of faith and devotion and, and joy and and godliness. And, and then some people who weren't even at the service started gathering around. And then some more people from all over the campus started gathering around, then people from all over the community, and then people from all over the state, and away it's gone. And for over two weeks, it's been a 24-7, nonstop faith service with singing. <laughs> and it became, excuse me, it became known as a good old-fashioned revival. But then some questions started to be asked that I wasn't really aware of until Dr. Piper. And that's what we're going to talk about at 1010 today. Were these devout Christians coming from all over the place, singing and, and repenting sins um, and praising God and so on and so forth, were they repenting their sins? Were they pre- repenting their godlessness behaviors that may be part of their lives? Or were they repenting for something different? Were they woke repenting? Were they repenting out of guilt for their own white privilege? Were they repenting out of guilt for their own lives uh, and being, uh, you know, being better than others? Were they doing penance for sins done to other people that they never did? Was this a true revival, or was this some sort of massive ode to wokeness? And I don't know the answer, but Dr. Piper is writing about it, and he's talking about it, and he will join me at 1010. You're not going to want to miss that conversation. Also coming up today, at the top of the third hour, Dakota Sawyer. We mentioned Dakota Sawyer, who was a candidate for state representative, you recall. He is uh, you know, the host, uh, one of the hosts of the Monday Night Roundtable uh, that you hear, and uh, he is... Um, He's an activist. He went down to uh, Columbus last week and testified before the Ohio Board of Education about the uh, dangers of the pornographic um, books, most of them gay pornographic, most of them trans and gay promoting, uh, sexual promoting pornographic materials in our schools. It's something that obviously Jonathan Broadbent and I talked about yesterday, and we will continue to cover because it's dangerous. And Dakota, who's just 21 years old, he's very, very fresh out of school. And he knows it, and he is uh, all over it, and he's going to join us to talk about it coming up at 1110 today. So there you have it, Dr. Piper at 1010, Dakota Sawyer at 1110. And, of course, my most important guest of the day is you, when you're ready. 216 Those are the numbers to get you right here. Now, before we get started with our monologue today, and i got a few different topics of this monologue, I do want to ask you to rise. As the patriot that you are, Stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you believe that costing people their jobs or their places in schools because you don't like something they say, in other words, if you believe in cancel culture, well, then you don't understand freedom or anything else that flag represents. You are therefore exempted from the request to stand and pledge allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You know, I oftentimes get listeners who are in their cars when we do the pledge, and people will look around and sometimes see other drivers putting their hands on their hearts. That means they know they're listening and they know they're taking this seriously. Uh, if you are one of those drivers, seriously, and you have an experience, tell me. Let me know. Two ones. I just love to hear it. I love to, to see how popular and how important this is for people uh, to say that pledge each and every morning. So let's um, let's launch into the first story I do want to talk about this morning. And it does. I always try to tie the uh, pledge, my little pledge reminder to you, um, to the top story of the monologue this morning. There's an article. As you know, I represent a very important organization that I'm very proud of called Citizens for Free Speech. And CFFS um, does everything it can to allow people to say things, even if somebody else might deem them to be offensive, because the First Amendment demands it. The First Amendment uh, says you can't be canceled because of something that you say just because somebody else found it to be disagreeable or offensive. You just can't do it. That's not what the founders intended. That's not what our Constitution says. It's not what the First Amendment says and so forth. And I urge you to become a member of Citizens for Free Speech by uh, going to the website, citizensforfreespeech.org, citizensforfreespeech.org. Join us as an activist. It's totally free. And um, at any rate, the First Amendment is very, very important to me, and it's very, very important to this country. It's very, very important to this culture. And as a matter of fact, if we lose the First Amendment or any of the protections, any of the five protections contained therein, we're done. And I don't want to be you know, overstating that, but we're done as a nation when we lose the right to speak freely. And people are losing the right to speak freely by being canceled. People are terrified to say something that somebody else might find a problem with, knowing that that person might go to HR and get you fired, or that that person might go to a public uh, a platform and shame you and get you to silence yourself, to quit your job, to quit your social group, to leave your school campus, and on and on and on it goes. Cancel culture is the is the full-on number one enemy of the First Amendment. That's what cancel culture is. Literally, it is it is it's the kryptonite to the First Amendment Superman. It's the one thing that can kill it. That's cancel culture. Well, why am I bringing this up? There's an article in Rolling Stone right now that is one of the most asinine and poorly argued and pathetic pieces of quote-unquote journalism that I think I have read in the last 20 years, maybe more. Headlined, Why Cancel Culture is Good for Democracy. The lead... History has shown us that those in power are obsessed with turning any form of accountability into a phenomenon that is intended to bring us into sudden doom. Following is an excerpt from the upcoming book, The Case for Cancel Culture, How This Democratic Tool Works to Liberate Us All. The author is somebody named Ernest Owens. Now, I don't know much more about him other than what I read in this Rolling Stone article, this excerpt from his book, but I think I do know all I need to know is that this is the face of the death of freedom. And anybody who works at Rolling Stone or at the publishing company that has chosen to put this filth out there and promote it, those are the faces of the end of freedom. It's just that simple. 
for many years, writes Ernest Owens, cancel culture has been despised or misconstrued as a new phenomenon that caused, that's caused havoc on free expression and speech. Well, there's a good reason for that. We're supposed to now assume that we can't say or do anything without an angry mob instantly judging us and preparing to end our careers before they start. That is absolutely correct so far. In actual fact, we are the people who make up the so-called mob, and we have control of our own actions. Yes, you do. And you do form mobs and run people out of their jobs, off of their campuses, out of their social circles, out of social media, by shaming them, by calling them bigots, calling them hateful, calling them racist, calling them phobes, if they say things with which you disagree, or something that you may find particularly offensive. He goes on to write, Cancel culture has leveled the playing field for those who can't always rely on the government to protect them. Right now, bigots, and here it goes. The name-calling starts already. Now, if I wanted to play by the leftist rules, I would write a letter to Rolling Stone. I would go on social media. I would go on live radio and say, this guy can't write for you. He's calling people who believe in the First Amendment, the, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution of the United States, bigots, simply for believing in what the Founding Fathers wrote. Hell, for that matter, he's basically calling the Founding Fathers bigots. Get rid of this guy. If I played by the rules of cancel culture, which he's defending, I would organize a boycott of all Rolling Stone advertisers. Let's leaf through one of the most recent birdcage liners uh, called Rolling Stone, look for every company that's advertising there, and organize boycotts. Boycotts of those companies to hurt their bottom lines until they drop their support of Rolling Stone magazine. That's what I would do, because that's what they do, and that's what they are literally arguing for. But you see, I won't do that. I won't do that because that's not who we are, and that's not what that flag we just pledged our allegiance to represents. He says, bigots are protected under the First Amendment to fuel disgusting rhetoric without state-sanctioned consequence. The America that tolerated white supremacy in their policies, and by the way, yes, Ernest Owens is an African-American. If you didn't know, and it doesn't matter, but maybe it matters, because you're going to hear a whole lot of anti-white stuff. Is the same country that wants to remind us how such forms of hate are still legal via free speech. Yes, Mr. Owens, hate is still legal. Hate is legal. Hate speech is legal. And you want to know why? Because that's what freedom looks like. And while freedom may look repugnant and ugly to you, and while the colors of red, white, and blue, particularly in the fashion of stripes and stars, might be something that is just like staring into the to a white-hot sun for you, and it just blinds you with rage, it is freedom that allows those things to exist. And to cancel people for what you determine to be, free to, uh, to be hate speech is literally the antithesis of freedom. You claim in your book title that cancel culture liberates us all. Cancel culture handcuffs us all. Cancel culture puts us in leg irons. It puts us behind bars. He writes, cancel culture is the poison to those in power that have benefited from unchecked free speech. You're right about that. Cancel culture is poison to free speech. Or, as I said before, it is the kryptonite to Superman which would be representing free speech. He goes on to write, When conservatives on Fox News declare that it's a free country and that cancel culture is un-American, they forget speech works two ways. It allows for discourse to take place, but grants all voices can be heard. Stop. 
The problem with people like you who promote cancel culture is that you don't believe all voices should be heard. Only people whose voices sound like yours. And if somebody else says something with their voice with which you disagree or with which you take offense, such as men can't get pregnant, you want their jobs. Speech works one way in the mind of the, of the radical Marxist leftist, such as this, this particular character in Rolling Stone. In other words, he writes, straight white men and other people, there it is. I told you he was gonna, he's, he's a black man. He may be a gay black man, for all I know. I do not care, but I do know that his entire piece in Rolling Stone, which I read in preparation for the show today, is filled with anti-whiteness and anti-straight stuff. Just to lay, lay it out there so whatever he is, he is. Don't really care. Straight white men and other people with power aren't used to getting pushback for the ways they conduct themselves. And cancel culture has reset the way society can react. This is just so embarrassingly junior high level stuff that he wrote and actually somebody is publishing. Those who fear cancel culture may claim the fear, uh, may claim they fear suppression of speech, but it's accountability that they want to avoid. What accountability? Do you understand this, leftist? And any leftist, that may be listening. Do you understand that free speech means that there is no accountability for what you say? Nor should there be, short of libel and um, slander and defamation of character, which of course means you cannot publicly declare things that you know to be untrue about other people. You cannot state lies as facts, harming other people, defaming them, libeling or slandering them. Short of that, there is no accountability. That's the point of freedom. I may say something that you are totally offended by, and you know what? I have the right. You can't get me fired for it. You can't get me jailed for it. You can't get me canceled for it, because that's what freedom literally is. So we who fear cancel culture, as you put it, You say we may fear suppression of speech, but it's accountability that they want to avoid. You're damn right. Because there should be no accountability in a free country for me saying something that you hate. And that's what this entire thing is all about. He goes on to say, cancel culture as we consider today feels new because of the digital platforms we have at our disposal. Previous generations were canceling, but the road to accountability was paved with many barriers, both technically and socially. It was hard to fully cancel something when you weren't granted the same civil rights as your opponent, even more so when you could face even more persecution and exile for doing it. So in other words, once you keyboard warriors got the muscles behind your keyboards and in front of your screens to say anything that you wanted and to dox people and to, again, organize boycotts, you were able to significantly check and stop and limit free speech. The First Amendment, which is exactly what your goal has been. And why, I'll ask you this as we take our break, why does the American left love cancel culture so much? Why do they want to stop your ability to respond or to say things that they disagree with? And the answer is very, very simple and very, very short. Because it's the only way they can defeat you. They cannot win the battle of arguments, or, or excuse me, win a battle or an argument over the ideas or the ideals that are being discussed. And so the only way 
To defeat you is to make you too afraid to make your argument, saying no, saying that if you say it, we're going to cancel you. We're coming for your job. We're going to HR. We're going to the principal. We're going to the administrator. We're going to the foreman. We're going to whomever we have to to make you pay for what you just said. And that scares the you-know-what out of people. That's how they silence you. That's how they defeat you. If they can't defeat you with the ideas. 926, I'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Well, I uh, I was right. I went to the uh, the web page, or excuse me, the uh, Twitter feed of uh, Mr. Ernest Ernest Owens uh, to find out. I mentioned to you that he happened to be African American, which only matters because of the number of attacks on whiteness in the Rolling Stone article, which was an ex- excerpt from his new book. And then I wondered if he was also gay because of all of the anti-straight stuff that was in the excerpt from his new book. And sure enough, uh, there he is uh, on his on his Twitter feed and his his little uh, biography or little bio line has the black fist power or black power fist rather and the gay pride flag. So there you have that. Now we know. And um, I love what I'm seeing in the comments underneath his little announcement that was literally just made two days ago about uh, his book called The Case for Cancel Culture being uh, being released. He's all proud in his, I am now officially a published author. That's super. Um, some of the responses to his, I am officially a published author, are really, really wonderful, including, has this guy been fired yet? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I won't read them all uh, because people can write negative things if they want, but it is really hilarious. Um, the responses to this absolute clown show and what I said and just tweeted is that this guy has written more unintelligible gobbledygook in one book than Dr. Seuss did in a, could do in a thousand lifetimes. And the difference is that Dr. Seuss did it on purpose. He wrote unintelligible gobbledygook from his imagination on purpose. This guy actually thinks what he's writing makes sense. That's the difference. So just to throw it out there, I went ahead and sent him a, a private message. I can't believe he took private messages because he won't let anybody comment on his or reply to his tweets unless you fo- uh, he follows you. So he doesn't want to read the negative comments. He doesn't want to see them anywhere. He doesn't let anybody reply to him. But he does have his little direct message thing open. And so I sent him a message. Ernest Owens, are you willing to do a radio interview with someone who will shred virtually every argument you made in your book? Let me know if you've got the courage to do so. And so there it is. That's the question. Not sure. I doubt it. Uh, highly doubt it. But if you are interested in he- hearing that uh, that battle, um, I'm I'm reaching out. I'm trying to make it happen. All right, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I just found that um, astounding. Uh, moving on to something else astounding now. Um, I, I was just having a conversation off the air uh, with uh, a doctor, a university hospital's doctor that I had on the air back during the first year of COVID in 2020 and even in part of 2021. And we had some battles uh, over the efficacy and the safety of the uh, poison darts. 
and over the uh, um, the effectiveness of the ridiculous masks and the mask mandates. And he was just one of these guys. Put it on and shut up. Put on the mask. Oh, my gosh, why is this a big deal? Why are you fighting about this? Why are you complaining about this? The masks work. It will help. Take the jab, roll up your sleeve. Oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Or what if it keeps your, your family? What if you don't care about your own health, but it keeps your family safe because you might be asymptomatic and you may spread it to your family? Take the jab, take the jab. We had this going on for a long time. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But I reached out to him this morning uh, because I saw this headline. In the New York Times, of all places, the New York Times is acknowledging and admitting reality now. I know that's crazy talk, but they are. The New York Times has an article from Brett Stevens that says, The mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? And it's all about the Cochrane study that I've been telling you about. The Cochrane study, which was posted and published in The Lancet, which is one of the most respected medical journals in the world, and it identified a study in which literally over a million, I'm sorry, a series of 65 studies in 19 countries with well over a million individuals, randomized controlled trials to see whether or not those who wore masks religiously all the time adhered to the mandates, wore them in public, and so on and so forth, and those who did not to see if there was any difference in the rate of their infection. And the reality is, nope, nothing. Masks did nothing because, as many of the early subjects, you know, this is the worst part about it. Everybody had told us to listen to the science. Follow the science. Don't let your own little conspiracy theories drive your decision-making on what to do with this uh, very contagious and deadly uh, disease, this virus. Follow the science. The science says that the masks work. They will slow or stop the spread. That's what they said. Said the same thing about the jabs, but I'm going to focus on the masks right now. And those of us who said, but look, they did a study in a lab over here, and it shows that no, it doesn't. The particles of the coronavirus are much smaller than the uh, fabric, the mesh in the fabric, and it goes right through. Not to mention, it doesn't have to go right through because every mask leaves the little air pockets on the side and your cheeks or around your nose, or under your chin, or whatever. So it would have to be literally hermetically sealed, super glued to your face to make no gaps for it to even have a chance, but then it's still going to go through the mesh, right, of any cloth or uh, any um, uh, of the surgical masks that everybody wore and that were mandated. And those of us back then said, no, they don't work. It's being proven. We were told those studies aren't reliable. Those studies don't count. But we said, but they do, and here's why. This study, or uh, excuse me, uh, this um, uh, physician, uh, this this doctor, this expert in infectious disease, this epidemiologist, all these people did these studies, and you're telling us that this is conspiracy theory? You said follow the science. The science says they don't work. And they said, put it on anyway. Three years later now, because we're almost to March of 2023, which is when this whole thing started in 2020, three years later, the nuts are still telling you to wear masks, even though now we have this massive comprehensive study called the Cochrane Study. And the Cochrane Study said that the masks did nothing, that people who did not wear masks at all during the height of the coronavirus were no worse off in terms of levels of infection than people who wore them all the time. And now the New York Times is even reporting on this, right? And the time has come for all of those who called us nuts and conspiracy theorists to apologize and to say, all right, you, you, you were right, 
And by the way, to their credit, some of the most outspoken uh, critics of quote-unquote anti-vaxxers, and we're not anti-vaxxers. We are anti-poison darts. We are anti-being forced to take things that we don't know what the side effects are going to be in the short term or the long term. We are anti-being forced to take something at the, at the risk of losing our job. We are anti-being told that our religious liberty is completely not uh, uh, respected. Those are the things that we're anti. We weren't anti-quote vaxxers, but that's what they called us anyway. And some of them are acknowledging it now. Three years after the fact, they're saying, look, let's admit it, the unvaccinated one. We were right. We also were right about natural immunity. Natural immunity, letting your body do its job as God intended it to do by being infected with the coronavirus and then building up its own antibodies and antigens to that virus to stop them from becoming reinfected again, worked. And right now, the studies, in addition to the mask study I'm focused on right now, also show that the overwhelming number of people becoming reinfected with coronavirus were vaccinated. They took the profit jabs. And they took the booster jabs. And they're still getting infected at a much higher rate than those of us who did not take any jabs at all. It's time for them to come clean. It's time for them to just admit, we were wrong. We were wrong to force this on people. We were wrong to mandate this. We were wrong to mandate the jabs. We were wrong to mandate the masks. We were wrong to close down businesses. We were wrong to close down schools. We were wrong to close down churches. We were wrong about all of it. Say it. Well, the New York Times is at least coming close. Now, I can't read the entire article because I refuse to pay a nickel for the New York Times. Fountain of disinformation that it is. But the article is headlined, The Mask Mandates Did Nothing. Will Any Lessons Be Learned? Do something is not science, and it shouldn't have been public policy. Well, congratulations, Brett Stevens at the New York Times. You're three years behind the rest of us. And that's what the whole thing comes down to. That's, I mean, if you go back, let's, let's see what lessons are learned. Since the question in the New York Times headline is, will any lessons be learned? Let's see what lessons were learned. One lesson that I think we better have learned is that do something cannot be the answer to a question. Just because you have no other answers. In other words, sometimes doing something is far more deadly and dangerous than doing nothing. If the something you're doing is harmful. But when COVID was announced and the Wuhan flu spread from China, Donald Trump tried everything he could to stop it. Hey, we're going to ban uh, flights from China, uh, originating in China, going anywhere else, and then coming to the United States. Oh, you're a xenophobe. Oh, you're a racist. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Tried to stop it, couldn't stop it. It was going to spread everywhere. It did, did spread everywhere. But um, the immediate response had to be, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And everybody's looking to the leadership. For answers to that question, oh my gosh, it's deadly. If you get if you touch somebody or if you touch your eye after touching somebody else, uh, after you're touching the um, handle of the freezer at the grocery store after an infected person has touched it, and then you touch your eye or you lick your fingers or something like that, ah, you're dead. All of the fear, all of the panic that they tried to instill, that they did to us, led people looking to the leaders and saying, "Do something." Well, do what? Do something. We're all going to die. So leadership, including President Trump, 
to his credit, recognizing that we have to do something because the people are freaking out, said, well, let's get a vaccine for this. How quickly can we get one? And he set into motion Operation Warp Speed. And Operation Warp Speed was a flat-out disaster. Now, he didn't know it at the time, or his fault, but Operation Warp Speed meant, let's take this mRNA technology that's been hanging around here for a while, since the 1980s. We just interviewed the pioneer of that technology, Dr. Robert Malone, last uh, last week. Was last week or was that Monday? Holy cow, I'm losing my track, uh, track here, or train of uh, time. Anyway... We just interviewed Robert Malone about it, and um, you know this mRNA technology was around since he first started developing it in the 1980s. He's the patent holder. He said, "Let's grab that and let's uh, modify it, and let's use it to to uh, ward off the uh, you know the infectious uh, coronavirus." And I said, "Yeah, let's do that." And they worked night and day, 24/7. Cost was no object, and they did. They came up with something in 10 months that should have been done in five years. Because the controlled studies had to be done. The long-term effects needed to be known. But nobody wanted to wait for that. So they said, let's go. And President Trump said, boom, Operation Warp Speed, we've got vaccines. And he's right. They had them by Christmas. He was taking jabs. Everybody was taking jabs before Biden ever came into office in January of 2021. About a million jabs had been put into a million arms. And away we go. What are the, what are the effects? Or the side effects? What are the potential side effects? None. We were told, none. Just safety and effectiveness. Those are the only two things. It's safe and effective. Wear your mask, get your stab, and you'll be fine. Well, here we are three years later, and the time for I told you so is here, but moreover, so is the time to say I'm sorry. We did fake the entire thing. Not the disease, not the virus. We faked the science. We faked the notion that we could stop it with pieces of paper over our faces. We faked the notion that we could stop it with an untested, unproven, potentially dangerous stab in the arm. We faked it all because we didn't have anything else to do. So what I want today, now that even the New York Times is coming around on the mask thing, what I want today is for every one of those who called us conspiracy theorists who called us anti-vaxxers the ones who were going to kill our grandmothers and other people's grandmothers and people at church if you go to church and you sing especially without a mask i want apologies from these people they're acknowledging they're they're wrong but they're not apologizing and they're not coming around now and saying don't take these anymore don't wear the masks. They're ridiculous. They're stupid. They're dangerous. All they can do is make you sick, which they have been proven to do. They do not stop coronavirus. Take them off. Don't worry about it. I want them to say these things. Do you remember what President Biden said? When we kept saying we're not wearing masks, and there was a huge national schism between the maskers and the anti-maskers? Remember what Joe Biden said? He went on television and said, it's your patriotic duty to wear a mask. Not to protect yourself, but to protect other people from you and your filth and your germs and your viral particles. It's your patriotic duty. Remember that? And he said this, of course, without practicing it himself in various circumstances. He said this as Nancy Pelosi paraded through what are supposed to be closed businesses, mask-free, getting her hair done, and Gavin Newsom 
at restaurants, expensive restaurants like the French Laundry in San Francisco, mask-free, telling us it's our duty to wear masks. Now that we know the truth, where are the apologies? Where are the our bad? And we need to get those from the New York Times. We need to get those from the Washington Post. We need to get those from all of the legacy mainstream media. We need to get those from Democrats, but we need to get them from President Trump, too. President Trump, for all of his positivity, for all the great things he's done, including going to East Palestine yesterday, by the by, continues to this very moment to defend the jabs, to defend the myocarditis, the pericarditis, the strokes, the blood clots, the adverse events, to the level, statistically, that we have never seen in literally 200 years. Studies that show young, healthy hearts just don't stop. They just don't stop. An average of less than 10 a year over the last 40 years. Now, 1,600 or more in two years. The shots were bad. The shots were dangerous. The shots should not have been mandated. President Trump still defends them. I want apologies. I want apologies from Operation Warp Speed. I want apologies from the, you must wear the mask or you're fired or you can't come in. I want apologies from everybody who was, now that we know the reality, wrong. And to my my friend, who was once a radio guest on this program, University Hospital's doctor, who shall remain nameless so that I don't embarrass him, Yes, it is time to say you were wrong and I was right and acknowledge as much. Then maybe, just maybe, we can move forward with intellectual discourse. When you live in that world of denial and continue to to view people like me as a conspiracy theorist for not wanting the poison dart in my arm or the useless, pointless face face diaper over my nose and mouth, I'll, I'll, I'll take that apology any time now and then we can talk. 9.54, I'll be back. All right, 9.58. We got Dr. Everett Piper coming up on the uh, other side of the top of the hour news. Uh, I also want to remind you, I'm going to play a clip next half, or excuse me, next hour after Dr. Piper of uh, the latest episode of uh, True Blue Today, which is my new TV show on the True Blue Factual Streaming Network. If you have not yet downloaded that app or put it on your television or on your tablet or anywhere else, I want you to do so. It is cheap as hell. It is $4.99 a month, uh, which is peanuts. I mean, literally, it's a cup of coffee a month. And depending on what kind of coffee you drink, I suppose. Um, and if you want to buy it by the year, you can save even more. Buy a 12-month subscription and save 15% off that when you use my code, which is France Year. France Year. That's me and one year. France Year. I'll save 15%. Go to My True Blue. Or I'm sorry, not my. I beg your pardon. I'm being st- stupid right now. WatchTrueBlue.com. WatchTrueBlue.com. And then uh, start checking out the show. We've got three episodes that have dropped now of True Blue Today, which is my interview and commentary show on all things true crime-related, policing-related, uh, a lot of controversial issues in America-related. It's, uh, it's something that we're working on. We're getting better uh, each and every day. Great interviews, great commentary segments. Check it out right now. True, WatchTrueBlue.com. Sorry. WatchTrueBlue.com. There is a free episode that we have uploaded to YouTube. A free episode, which you can check out before you subscribe. So go to YouTube and look for uh, True Blue Today with Bob France. And uh, let me know what you think. Dr. Everett Piper joins me right after this newscast on AM 1420 The Answer. 
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now on AM 1420. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock. It's a Thursday, the 23rd morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. It is, of course, the second day of Lent. So a blessed day to you. Good luck in keeping your Lenten vows. Um, Thursday means it's Dr. Piper Day, and we've got a lot to talk about with Dr. Piper. So uh, without any ado whatsoever, much less further, let's welcome Dr. Everett Piper. He is um, a former university president. He is a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist for The Washington Times, something we're going to discuss in a moment. He's also a podcast radio host of The Rebellion. Look for that where you get your podcasts. And he is a county commissioner in his native Oklahoma, Osage County, I believe. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good to be on, Bob. Yes, sir. All right. So um, I want to get into that revival and what it's really all about or might be all about in a moment. But first, let's talk about your uh, Sunday column in the Washington Times in which you uh, uh, articulate very, very well that the leading suspects, if you will, and what might be called uh, the greatest threat to life, liberty, and human flourishing, the biggest threat to innocence around the world, some of the some of the individual um, factions that you mentioned from history and from present day, uh, none of those fit the bill, apparently, uh, according to the United Nations and, and uh, some associated with it, um, the most dangerous, potentially violent, uh, terroristic people in, in, uh, in the world are not practicing Christians. We're the ones who are the biggest threat to the world. Not any of the other groups uh, that you cover. Dr. Piper, tell us what, what you discovered here with this United Nations Human Rights Council uh, uh, statement, if you will, or determination about Christians. Well, I need to give credit to Cheryl Chumley of the Washington Times. She actually wrote an opinion piece, and I take some of this information from her. She discovered that the United Nations, actually on its website right now, is saying that this coming uh, June, when they meet for their 53rd time, that their Human Rights Commission within the United Nations has an independent expert who's investigating and issuing a report on the protection against violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and they'll give an update on how to prevent violence against those who identify with the LGBTQ community. That's a quote from the United Nations. Now, what does that mean? It means that they're going to look at the disparities between religious freedom and freedom of sexual expression. But if you just look a little bit under the covers here, you're going to find out that the suspect is conservative Christianity, because it's conservative Christians who look to the Bible for their guidance on how to live their lives, whether it be sexually or otherwise, and we trust the Bible as the measuring rod outside of those things being measured. It's our final true north, if you will. If you hold that as a worldview, then you are in conflict with those who are part of the, quote, LGBTQ community. Well, who do you think is going to get deference from the United Nations? Is it going to be the Christian who rests on the Bible, uh, an Orthodox Christian who is held to 2,000 years of teaching that's clear in the Scriptures on how you should behave sexually? Or do you think 
the group that's going to get deference and favor from the United Nations would be the rainbow flag cabal. It's obvious what's going on. And you know that I point out in the article, it's not just the United Nations. In Australia, they've just cited premillennial Christians. Now, what's a premillennialist? It's somebody that believes that Jesus Christ will come again, there will be a second coming of Christ, and that after he comes, he will usher in a millennial reign, a thousand years, where Christ will reign over earth, and we will have a time of peace for a thousand years. Millennial, a thousand years. So if you're a premillennialist who believes the Prince of Peace will rule for a thousand years, I guess you're now a violent extremist. And then you've got AOC that tweets during the Super Bowl that apparently you're, um, you're a fascist, you're a neo-fascist, if you actually believe in simple biblical teachings like have childlike faith and stop hating people because of the He Gets Us campaign, basically issuing two commercials during the Super Bowl that said nothing other than that. So you're a fascist if you somehow believe that those commercials had value. So you've just got all this nonsense going on in our culture right now where they're actually labeling biblical Christians. I'm not talking about crazies that are out there doing dumb things, violent things against um, Planned Parenthood or whatnot. And I don't believe that anybody should be violent. I think you have the right to protest. You have the right to speak. You have the right to act. And I think you've got the obligation as a biblical Christian to do all of that. You shouldn't do anything violent. You shouldn't do anything hateful. But even if you're just living within the boundaries of biblical morality, you're now branded as a threat to free, to, to free society. And that's where we are with the United Nations and even some of the rest of, rest of the Western world, like Australia and even AOC here in the United States. Dr. Piper, read your closing line, which isn't your closing line, but it's important because we have been down this road before. Not that we recall it, of course, but going back to the uh, ancient Romans, uh, this is this is the way they treated Christians, and we're seeing it today. Uh, actually, I quote Martin Isles, and people need to follow him. It's spelled with a Y, Martin with a Y, and Isles is I-L-E-S. He's a great a thinker and apologist, Christian apologist from Australia. He's the one that I read when I found out this story in Australia and what they're doing to conservative Christians, evangelicals that are premillennialists in Australia. He says this at the end of his commentary. He says, we're living in a clown world. In ancient Rome, the authorities blamed Christianity for the evils of their day because they either hated it or were totally ignorant concerning it. And he says, I guess history can repeat itself. It's pretty striking, and uh, and I, I don't want to uh, spend a ton more time on this because we have to get to the revival and uh, the, some of the stuff that we're talking about or you were speaking of on that. But um, at the end of the day, it's not the Christians themselves or any of the various uh, denominations of Christianity. It's the Bible. That's the enemy of those, it would appear, that want to continue to brand us as being you know, potentially dangerous terrorists and so on and so forth. All of the things that they say about us, it all goes back to if you quote the Bible, that's how they, they determine your worth or your threat level. If you quote the Bible, if you believe in the Bible, if you live by the word of the Bible uh, as best you can, and you make it known that that's what you're doing, you have a target on your back. So the real, the real target isn't just Christianity. Quite frankly, it's Jews as well, anybody who actually believes in and follows the Bible. I, I agree with you. It's biblical Christianity, orthodox Christianity. Right. It's conservative Christianity, Christians that believe in conserving the time-tested truths of the Word of God, the revelation of God. If you believe that there's a true north, really, it's a battle over authority. If you believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority over your life, 
rather than the government, or whether than, rather than woke philosophy. If you believe the Bible is your trump card on how to live, then you are a threat to those who don't believe that, because they want authority and power over you, and they'll never get it if you have an ultimate trump card that is the revelation of God. The only way government can get control of our lives is to, to, to disparage other higher levels of authority. And what is higher than the government in every, every Christian's life? As you said, it's the Bible. Well, that's exactly right. And Dr. Piper, I want to go ahead and take our break now so that we can have a really good lengthy discussion of the quote-unquote Asbury revival. We talked about it last week. Um, Obviously, there are some new ways to look at this right now after some of the things that you revealed, at least to me, and I don't know where else you wrote that, but I want to talk and go more in-depth on that to find out exactly what's really happening in that little tiny Christian college in Kentucky. So we'll continue with Dr. Piper talking about that aspect next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1021 now, Always Right Radio, continuing on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll get back to Dr. Piper in a second, but before we do, I'm going to ask you, even for just a little sign of the cross or something in the form of a prayer for uh, some of the people who are suffering from power outages in very deadly cold and uh, massive ice storms that are going on north of us. You know, that that, uh, nationwide, almost coast-to-coast storm is thankfully in the upper half. When I say thankfully, I mean given where we are. But not for the folks, uh, of course, the uh, northwest, the great northwest, the upper midwest, uh, over the Great Lakes, and now up in Michigan where my daughter is at Hillsdale. Uh, no power at all, over 650,000 without power there. Power lines are down. It's a pretty dangerous situation. So for anybody who's suffering through this very massive, I think they're calling it Winter Storm Olive right now, um, a little prayer for them because uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation for them right now, and I hope everyone, and including and especially my daughter, stay safe. So any little. Uh, any little uh, mention you could make uh, in your prayers, that would be great. Dr. Piper, they were praying, and they were singing, and last week we were talking about a good old-fashioned revival that started at Asbury College down in Kentucky. And we talked about what this meant, and people started coming from all over the community, then all over the state, then all over the country to be a part of this massive, what, 24-7, round-the-clock, two-week-long, as it turned out to be, give or take, Um uh, revival, this this singing and this prayer and lifting of their voices. Last week, when you told us about this, I don't think I fully comprehended, under, under, fully comprehended nor understood that there may be a little bit of controversy with this. I didn't understand what the pastor there had been preaching, and now there is some question as to whether this is a revival and praying to Jesus Christ uh, for you know to um, uh, uh, to repent for their sins against God or. Are they there repenting their sins against other people based on quote-unquote marginalized communities? I wasn't aware very much at all of what you sent to me last night. Can you inform and enlighten everyone? Well, first of all, I want to make it clear. I pray for revival. I want revival. And I'm not disparaging the concept or the idea at all. Our hearts and minds do need to be revived so that we are obedient to God and we're obedient to His Word. Um, and I honestly don't know whether or not um, this Asbury revival is going in a great direction or just a modestly good direction or whether or not we should be questioning it. What I do know is that every Christian has the right and the responsibility to do what the Apostle Paul says. 
St. Paul tells us, do not quench the Spirit, but test everything. So my paraphrase of that would be the sword of discernment has two edges. And if you feel uh, uh, that you should be asking questions, if you have the gift of discernment, I guess is the best way to say it, it, it's not wrong to use it and raise your hand and say, I've got a couple questions. Quench not the Spirit, I agree, but test everything. St. Paul tells us himself to do that. So my question from the start of this revival has been, um, what does it mean? What's being revived? One of the first comments I heard about the revival was it's getting wider and deeper. Well, getting wider and deeper isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's very (laughs) confusing. It doesn't really tell me anything. What does that mean? And in evangelical Christianity, all the evangelicals listening to me right now need to hear me on this. We know that the evangelical church has traditionally stood for the evangel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with Jesus being clearly defined by the Bible, not your emotions, not your feelings, and that we believe in salvation only exclusively through Jesus Christ and repentance of our sins, that you must be born again. Is that what is leading to this revival? Maybe it is, but I'm not hearing a lot about a sermon that actually was based in the evangel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I I also, when people say, well, they're repenting of their sins, great, I'm thankful, praise the Lord, but what sins? Because today, in our woke culture, you could define sins as um, being uh, anti-LGBTQ, being homophobic, being uh, guilty of having too large of a carbon footprint. Is that what you're con- con- repenting? Uh, or are you repenting? Well, one man's one God? man's yeah, one man's sin is you know another man's protection. In other words, if I want to protect children from what I believe to be a dangerous promotion of of a lifestyle, uh, you know, by not wanting you know drag queens to be sexually sexually dancing in in lingerie around kids, um, somebody's going to see that as a sin. Well, you're you're discriminating against somebody else because you don't like their lifestyle. Well, no, I'm trying to protect the innocent child who doesn't need to be exposed to that at such a preformative age. That's the problem here is is how do we define what sin is versus what is you know a noble cause? And and when you look at woke evangelicalism now, a lot of woke evangelicals are defining the very things that you're describing right now as being. You're saying it's virtuous to protect your kids from the LGBTQIA trans agenda. I agree with you. But a lot of woke evangelicals would accuse you of being homophobic and committing a sin for, for holding those values. So we've got to ask the question, I think in any church service, any conversation about God and Jesus and sin and sanctification, we've got to ask people to define their terms today because we really don't know what they're talking about. If you're confessing Jesus, which Jesus is it? Is it the one you see in the mirror or the one you read about in the Bible? If you're confessing sins, what sins are you confessing and repenting of? Is it your overbearing carbon footprint and your homophobia or your unconscious bias or your white privilege? Is that what you're confessing? Or are you confessing your worship of the false gods of the rainbow and Gaia, earth worship, and everything that comes with it? There's a huge question here. And again, I don't know the answers, and and I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I did go back and listen to the sermon of the young man who preached in the chapel at Asbury that that, um, that, that caused this revival, led to right. it, and there was nothing wrong. He preached out of Romans 13 about love, the law of love. Great. But it was a little incomplete because he didn't go to the last part of Romans 13, which is the passage that actually led to the conversion of Augustine, 
where Augustine recognized that he needs to put aside his debauchery as a pagan and confess his sexuality and his immorality. He didn't get to that. Was that intentional? I don't know. But I also know that this young man, the preacher, is kind of woke, because if you go to his website, he's all into the white privilege and all that kind of junk. He didn't preach about that at Asbury at that time, but that's his bias. So I think we go back, and I can't remember who said it, but there's a, there's a, there's a famous theologian, I just lost his name, but he said it's possible to find a needle of truth in a, in a haystack of error. So I don't think we throw the baby out with the bathwater. If people are getting converted and born again, great. I celebrate that. But that doesn't mean we stop asking questions about the potential haystack of error around that needle of truth. Yeah, that's that's well said. Uh, but born again as what? That's the real question here. Born again as apologists for those lifestyles, or born again as as uh, you know repentant uh, you know, children of God. Um, so to put a cap on this, Doctor Piper. Had this thing still been going on, or maybe two weeks ago, uh, and you knew what you know now, would you encourage the faithful as you know them, you may be former students, people in your own uh, own worship uh, setting, would you have encouraged them to go to Asbury if they were considering it, or would you have said you might want to hold off on, on what that really is all about? I would have encouraged people to seek revival in the privacy of their own prayer closet, their living room, their bedroom, or their classroom, right where they are. You don't need to get in a car and drive to Wilmore, Kentucky, or any place else for that matter, to find God. Go to your Bible, and you're going to find God right there. That's where you're going to be revived. Great answer to the question. Dr. Everett Piper, that's why we love talking to you. Terrific analysis of the entire thing. Thank you so much, sir. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. 10.30 10.30 in news time now. We've got an open segment coming up. If you want to dial 216-901-0945, Dakota Sawyer will join us at the top of the next hour at 11.10. So uh, let's continue together uh, right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yes, indeed. Appreciate you joining us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. So, um, I want to shift gears a little bit here to start the uh, bottom of the hour. Uh, And I do have uh, Dakota Sawyer coming up again at the top of the next hour. Um, and we're going to talk about what's going on in our schools. He is very active. First of all, he's co-host of the Monday Night Roundtable over on our sister station, but um, he's very active. First of all, he ran for office, which is incredible, at 21. Second of all, he went down and testified before the um, Ohio Board of Education last week about the pornography, particularly the LGBTQ-driven pornography that is being pushed on kids in Ohio schools. So he is not just a talker, he is a doer, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that coming up at um, uh, coming up at uh, 11.10 this morning. What I want to do now, though, if I may, is I want to share with you um, a little clip from... Uh, my uh, new television program. I want to talk about law enforcement here for a moment, if I can, because um, I think this is extraordinarily important. Um, True Blue Today is the name of the program, and it's on the True Blue factual streaming network, which you can download. Just go to your go to your, your app store um, and download uh, True Blue. Uh, you can also go online. Just go to Watch True Blue, Watch True Blue, and you can uh, uh, you can. Uh, uh, see the program there and download the program there and, and, and like I said, subscribe to the app. It's four ninety nine a month 
It's cheap. It's next to nothing. That's a cup of coffee. And if you want to make it even cheaper than that, buy the whole year for fifteen uh, percent off using the code France Year. France Year, and you'll be a subscriber for an entire year. And it's very easy. I want to give you a small taste of this. Now, you've heard. In the past, my conversations with uh, Steve Loomis about various issues involved uh, with policing, but there were almost always specific incidents. We're talking about shootouts in Cleveland, or we're talking about other uh, aspects of uh, law enforcement in Cleveland. But I talked with him in a recent episode of True Blue Today about just being a cop and how you have to handle delicate situations in a very different time for policing. In the abolish and defund the police era, in the post-George Floyd era, in the body cam era, etc. In the Memphis era, how do you handle certain situations? And this is a small taste of what you're going to get on the True Blue Today program that, I've, that I'm now hosting. How do you approach a big number of potential uh, combatants, uh, suspects, whatever it is that you want to call them, while maintaining control of the situation, yet not... Um, yet not causing uh, a violent confrontation to happen. That borderline between showing concern and and talking to them like human beings, but yeah. you must know that despite the numbers here, we are in control. Yeah. Um, it's a tightrope, and it's a skill, too. Um, you're going you're gonna to see more senior officers, veteran officers, um, be able to take care of that situation just through the gift of gab just through personality, just talking to folks like you're talking to your grandmother. Um, the younger guys are a little bit more fearful. They don't have the experience. They don't have the experience with that conversation. Um, you, you walk up and, and like you're in charge. You know, hey, what's going on, fellas? What can I do for you? What's what's the problem? The store clerk wants you guys out from in front of this place. You know, is that going to be something that we can do? Or is that something that we're going to have to make you do? You know, it's really your choice. Let, give the choices to the the folks that you're dealing with. But um, how do you do that tactfully? You know, and by tactfully, I mean um, tac- tactics that we learn to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's a really dangerous situation that could explode very quickly. So playing the game with me here, mm-hmm. you, you've come up to me and I'm part of that group. Sure. Can we make this happen, or are we going to have to make you get away from this storefront here? Yeah. Officer, you can't make me do anything. I, I'm not breaking any laws. I'm just standing here. We're just standing here hanging out. Uh, why, are you, why are you hassling us? Yeah. Well, we got a, we got a call from the store owner. Um, he doesn't want you out here anymore. You're, you're loitering out in front of his store. This is his business. He asked us to come see what you guys were up to, and... I don't want to pat anybody down. I don't want to look at anybody's car. This is harassment. It, you call it loitering. We're just we're just hanging out. We're yeah. just well, we, you know, it's a nice is, night. We don't want to be indoors. We want to be outdoors. We're just hanging out. We're talking. Sure. We're harming nobody. You're harassing us. Why sure. are you harassing us? Go down to the next store. Go down to the next park. Um, go somewhere, but here. Go to your grandmother's front porch. You know nobody's going to mess with you up there. You can't be blocking their business here. You have to leave. You know, man, you're not moving us. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see how that ends. Now, now, literally, this is the reason I'm playing the role here, is mm-hmm. where does it go from there? To find out how Steve answers that question, where does it go when they say, no, we're not moving? Because you know, they, don't, they know that you're not going to put your hands on them because it's going to lead to a confrontation in which you will be accused of excessive force. 
How do you handle those situations? Policing is a very, very dangerous, it always was dangerous, but it's a very different kind of dangerous today. That's kind of some of the stuff that we address and discuss through interviews and commentary on the True Blue Today program, which I hope you will download and subscribe to uh, from whatever app store or your smart on your smart TV, through your Roku, through your Amazon, whatever it is, look for True Blue. The only thing you need to know is that there's no ease. It's just True, T-R-U, Blue, B-L-U, no ease, True Blue. Go to watch True Blue with no ease.com, and you'll be able to, uh, to download. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110, the numbers. Uh, let's go to TJ, who's in Cleveland. TJ, you're on AM 1420, the answer. Fire away. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, last night there was a news story that I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, you ought to be very concerned. Uh, there was a pilot that flew a 767 uh, cargo jet for Amazon right into the ocean. And what they discovered, uh, he was landing, and instead of turning the air brake on, he accidentally hit the the uh, go around thrusters. When he got it back up, he panicked and he just started pulling switches and hitting buttons and just literally flew it into the ocean. Three people dead. Uh, thank thank God it was just a cargo jet, not a, a plane full of people. I saw the when story they, too. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and when yeah when they looked at the background of this pilot, he was a uh, you know a uh, diversity hire. Uh, he kind of flunked out of their flight training, and he had to retake it. His resume showed that on many occasions in the simulator, uh, when things went bad, he tended to panic. Uh, we're in big trouble with this diversity hiring. Next time you're on an airplane, and even if you're a liberal Democrat, you better hope the pilot sitting in that cockpit is not just the diversity hiring, but somebody that knows what they're doing. And we're going to see this in train conductors, emergency rooms. We're going to see this everywhere. And this is really scary. I mean, what's what's going to uh, be happening in the future? Well, uh, TJ, you are. I saw the same story, and you are a hundred percent right. You know that happened to be a cargo plane. In, in, any life is loss of life is sad, obviously. But but imagine, as you say, uh, a passenger jet of you know two hundred people, uh, and you get a pilot up there uh, who just is. You know, we, we can talk about this in the medical field too. As a matter of fact, I saw a story about this too that uh, just yesterday. That there is, uh, and thanks for the call, TJ. There is a um, drastic shortage or an underrepresentation, if you want to call it that, instead of African American physicians or physicians of color. Hey, how about that? Another way of saying POC. Um, that there just aren't enough black doctors. And that was being described by some left wing organization or another as a real threat to public health. Okay? And. There were, I was tweeting about this and, and kind of making fun of it for obvious reasons yesterday because what do you want to do? Do you want to lower the standards to get into medical school the way they lowered the standards to get into Harvard and North Carolina and a number of other schools where their priority was diversifying the campus and the classes of college students um, at the expense of admitting the very best, at the expense of admitting those who could handle the work. And Peter Kirsten now has talked to us about this and has quoted statistic after statistic. Students who are admitted to Harvard who are unprepared to be at the rigorous you know, Harvard academic level, but they're brought in because they bring color to the campus, because they bring diversity and inclusion and equity to the campus, they fail. They literally fail. They flunk out. They drop out. 
and it does them no good in their future career. Whereas if they had gone to a school where the academics were not quite as rigorous, they might have done successfully successfully and, and well and gotten B's and A's and then presented that on a resume to get a great job in the future. A Harvard degree means something, but a Harvard flunk out means nothing. But they let these people in, if they're even if they're unqualified, because they want to bring more color to the campus. That's why they're discriminating. That's why there's lawsuits against their discrimination, against them for discrimination, particularly against Asians, also whites, but almost almost exclusively Asians, because Asians are making up a significant majority of these incoming classes at these colleges because they're just doing better. They're just doing better. They're more highly qualified. Their test scores are higher. Their grades are higher. Their aptitude is higher. They can handle the work. And they're just freaking out about it. I don't want it to look like an all-Asian campus. We need more black. We need more, uh, um, you know, probably going into the other identity politics things, too. Ethnicities and queerness and this and that and the other. Um, And it's one thing for that to happen at the undergraduate level at Harvard. It's another thing if they start doing that at pilot training, as TJ just said, and another thing altogether if they do that in medical schools. Because I ask you, when medical schools start accepting less than qualified students, particularly students of color who don't make the grade, but they want to have more black doctors because they say a lack of black doctors is a public health uh, emergency, um, do you will you wait in the waiting room of a doctor that you suspect may or may not have been part of the affirmative action medical school admissions? Do you want to be treated by a doctor who is less than the best, but who is brought there because we need more doctors who look like a certain you know who look a certain way? It just doesn't make any sense. It's just dangerous. It's one thing to do it and to discriminate against people, like I said, against particularly Asians or Asian Americans on undergraduate campus. Do it in, in places and in, in colleges where your health is on the line, or in the case of the pilots, your safety is on the line. Uh, and, and you have a major problem now. You can't just say, well, we're trying to diversify the camp. There's nothing wrong with that. There is if you get somebody who cannot diagnose and treat disease or illness or injury but they were they were brought to medical school because they looked a certain way. We don't bring we can't bring people like that into medical school because they look a certain way. It just makes no sense. But there's a it was a CNN story. Experts warn shortage of black doctors harms public health. Well, then 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 get more super qualified black people. The same way you must require super qualified white people and super qualified. And I know that's not an actual term. But you understand my point. The best of the best that can that can handle medical school and that are qualified for medical school. You you don't accept less than white students in medical school. You don't accept less than Asian or Latino uh, uh, students in the medical school. And you can't accept less than black students in the medical school simply because there aren't enough people who look like them. You must have the best of the best who can handle, obviously, the 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 life saving. Uh, work of, of somebody in the medical profession, particularly if they want to call themselves doctor. So, TJ, you're right, by the way. I know if I, want, I went off on a tangent there. You're talking about pilots, but I'm talking about anything that has people's lives in their hands. I don't want second-tier people simply so they can make quotas. It just it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Jan is calling us from Brexville. Hi, Jan. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning. I wanted to let the Brexville Broadview Heights uh, community 
uh, and the people who listen to your station know that there's a uh, Brexville Broadview Heights Pride Group that has, uh, uh, and I only found out through a Gazette uh, publication, which is just a, a local magazine that I happen to to get, that right. uh, they are uh, in the Bre- they're in the Brexville schools and were invited in by the superintendent to uh, share information, and they even allowed them to hand out literature at a choir concert. And uh, for me to have an adult group come in and do this, whether it's for free or however they're getting this information, I think it's not the right thing to do. And uh, there's a board meeting coming up on March 15th uh, in Brexville, Broadview Heights, and I just want other people in the community to know if they uh, are concerned at all about this, that they need to go. Because in the article, they... Uh, they use in their language, we want members of the LGBTQ community to want to move here and raise their families. We want them to know Brexville is affirming, welcoming, and full of allies. So if <laughs> that's a lot to ask because there are lots of other groups that may feel uh, as they do. And they this feeling came about because of all the uh, what's going on in uh, uh, Florida, you know, and they felt that they're being... Uh, victims, victimized. So that's where this this group formed. And there are four people who were named in the article. And uh, I'm just interested uh, in putting the information out to people in the community that yeah. uh, they don't always read the detail I do in these articles. And this disturbs me that they're in the schools. They can go at the churches, you know, if they want to be in Braxville United Methodist Church and the Braxville United Church of Christ, that's fine. They can ally with, uh, you know, they can be uh, involved with with that those churches. However, uh, they've also put out two more uh, informational uh, ads in two other Brexville publications. And since I read the Gazette article, and so there's like a, a push for them uh, to uh, uh, impose themselves into the community in a way. Uh, and there are other groups and uh, organizations that have just as much right to uh, be affirmed, you know, in the community, I suppose. But this, this to me, being in the schools, though, I think is not right. And they use uh, the tactic, I think, of uh, scare, a scare tactic, saying that, that the suicide rate in that community is very high. So my question is, uh, what is the suicide rate in our school system, and what is the gender dysphoria, dysphoria number of students in our school system, if that's what's going on? So, well, thank you for and, allowing and, me that. And th- yeah, you got it. And thank you for the call um, and the information. I would um, caution um, in one area, and that is, of course, to not suggest um, that the Brexville Broadview, Broadview Heights community or any other community should not want to have LGBTQ people or families in the in the community. It's simply a matter of be what you want to be and do what you want to do as long as you do not try to force your beliefs or your lifestyle or something else on children. This is what, I mean, almost all of us who have had this or in the middle of this culture war over this massive trans movement that is overtaking the country are saying 18 plus gets rid of us. In other words, talk to 18-year-olds if you want. 
even though they are then still, I mean, most uh, you know minds do not get fully formed until 25. But when you're 18, you're allowed to go serve in the military, cast a vote, uh, buy a gun. I mean, all these different things you can do when you're 18, you're considered to be an adult. So if you want to talk to an 18-year-old about things like this, and if you want to present them with information, and if you want to quote-unquote start the recruitment process to bring them into a lifestyle um, of their choosing, or maybe of your choosing, uh, do, do your thing. I suppose. Every, it's every man or woman for himself, and there are only two, by the way. But when you start to bring that stuff into the schools and try to push and promote it to children, that is when we get into the areas of grooming. Grooming them, normalizing them into lifestyles that are not normal, that are not healthy, that are deviant, that are oftentimes uh, sexually, um, how do I want to say that, aggressive, which is why drag queens don't show up dressed like Mrs. Doubtfire with a full dress and, and full hose and, and a cardigan. They come dressed in lingerie because it's sexually aggressive, this lifestyle and this, uh, this entire orientation. And that's the problem that I have. And so I agree with you, Jan, uh, about being concerned about it being brought into schools, uh, this advertisement for you know allies and, and all of these other things that you're talking about, because it is indeed the schools. Um, uh, you know, and the the access to children that I think most of us are concerned about. That's not bigotry. That's being protective of little kids who are preformative and at risk. They're very impressionable, and they should not have uh, these bizarre, deviant uh, things uh, pushed on their young, impress- impressionable minds. Ten fifty five. Right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, hour number three underway now. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It's Thursday, the 23rd morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And I'll say it again, second day of the Lenten season. Hopefully you uh, are making good on your Lenten vows two days in. Hopefully you'll be able to do it for another 38 <laughs> and make it to Easter Sunday. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Great conversations over the course of uh, the uh, program so far today. We had an interesting conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. We had some really great calls last half hour. Now I've been looking forward to this one because of the chat that I had with Jonathan Broadbent uh, yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday or was it uh, Tuesday? Boy, my days are messing up. Did, Dr. Malone was Monday because I think I said it was last week. I was wrong. It was Monday. Um, Jonathan Broadbent, I thought was two days ago. It was yesterday. I'm off by a day everywhere. I think you know what's happening. In case you can't hear it in my voice, I'm a little nasally today. This is the first cold that I have had 
since I started taking Dr. Tenpenny's regimen of uh, sorbate vitamin C, vitamin D3, uh, calcium, I mean, uh, uh, not calcium, uh, uh, zinc and uh, quercetin. Um, ever since I started taking that regimen, which happened right when I got over COVID pneumonia in October of 2020, this is March of 2023, two and a half years since I have had a cold or been sick at all. My immune system is boosted so much by that regimen that Dr. Tenpenny recommended to me, and I give it to everybody I know. I tell everybody, you want to not have colds, you want to not get sick, you want to not be knocked down, take this, watch the, the probiotics and the antioxidants, and watch what they do to your immune system. This is the first, and I'm not sick, by the way. I just have a little bit of a drippy nose, and, I'm, and I sound a little nasally. But uh, I wonder if that's throwing my mind off a little bit here, because I can't remember when I talked to everybody. But I talked to Jonathan Broadbent yesterday from Protect Ohio Children North. He brought up Dakota Sawyer, and we both talked about Dakota's work. Uh, he is working his tail off. He is a young man. He's 21 years old, uh, but he's out there, uh, you know, acting as if he's been an activist for, for decades. He went to the Ohio Board of Education meeting last week and testified before the state board about the pornographic materials that are being exposed or our students are being exposed to through their libraries and their classrooms. Uh, and usually, almost exclusively, they are LGBTQ pornographic materials because apparently the uh, educators, including the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, the radical left-wing pro-LGBT uh, teachers organizations, apparently they think that pornography isn't bad as long as it's gay pornography or if it is LGBTQ pornography. If it was just straight heterosexual male and female pornography, it would be booted from classrooms and libraries in about 0.6 seconds. But if it's gay pornography, it's inclusive. If it's gay pornography, it is equitable. If it's gay pornography, it's diverse. And therefore, it's great. And it's wholesome. Well, Dakota doesn't agree. He went to uh, Columbus to talk before the Ohio Board about it, and now he's here to join us on AM 1420, The Answer. Dakota Sawyer, good to have you back on our program, young man. How are you, sir? Pretty good, but I do have to set the record straight. I only just turned 19. I wish I was 21, but I only Why did just I think you were 19. 21? Oh, my gosh, you just turned 19. Holy cow. My apologies. It makes your accomplishments and your passion for what you're doing even more impressive then. Good for you. Good for you. Dakota, by the way, is also the co-host of the... Um, uh, Monday Night Roundtable on our sister station on uh, 1220, which is just amazing. They do a great job, uh, Dakota and George Satari and Steve Krause. So make sure you tune in for that Monday nights at 7 o'clock. So 19-year-old Dakota Sawyer joins us. Dakota, you're practically still in high school then, yet you went down to testify before the Board of Education about what is going on in high schools, middle schools, primary schools. Tell me, Tell me, first of all, why you felt the need to go down. Second of all, tell me what you talked about, what you what you told the board last week. Yeah, so uh, I, I felt the need to go down because it was made aware to us um, by, uh, last May in 2022, uh, as you know, these books were coming in, that there were these really graphic, pornographic books uh, in schools. And uh, we had a good speaker, Dr. Uh, Duke Pesta, uh, come and tell, uh, speak here in Northeast Ohio and say that, you know, he, through his research, found that uh, some of these pornographic books have made their way into Ohio, and he didn't, he didn't give us specifics in what districts, 
Uh, and so what we did is we took that upon ourselves as a group uh, of conservative group leaders, and we investigated that, and we targeted 150 school districts across Ohio and put in public records requests for their master book list uh, that they, they have in their libraries. Uh, and we went through all their titles throughout their library, uh, and we found about 30 books uh, that were on our radar that were pornographic, really graphic. Uh, some of these even had illustrations of sexual acts between minor children. Uh, and we found this all across Ohio schools. Uh, we found it in uh, at 150 school districts. We found it in 65% of the school districts that we had targeted. Uh, and so we had presented that to the state legislature in December, uh, and I had felt the uh, compelling need to testify uh, last Tuesday uh, to the State Board of Education and bring this to their attention uh, due to the fact that uh, the State Board of Education wanted to uh, punish homeschoolers for one fringe group in Upper Sandusky uh, for promoting a neo-Nazi curriculum, uh, and they wanted to punish these homeschoolers. And I said, well, well let, let's hold on a moment. Uh, we're going to punish homeschoolers for one fringe group, but we're not going to punish uh, public schools for you know all these books that are in multiple public schools across Ohio. And I said, that, that just isn't fair. And so I, I, I uh, made it a point to go down there and testify and present the evidence that we had uh, gathered throughout the last year uh, to present that to them and ask them to do something about that uh, and to actually uh, work on getting these books out of the school districts. So, Dakota, anybody who uh, makes the argument you're making and we can go all the way down to Governor Ron DeSantis, who has, of course, uh, uh, you know, made national headlines for trying to clean up some of the filth that's in these schools and uh, in the anti-woke campaign. He is being called, and you are being called, or I would imagine, whether you heard it to your face or not, I don't know. You know, uh, somebody who is so bigoted, you're willing to ban books. They're trying to equate this to... Um, you know, book burning in, in, in years of ignorance gone by where, you know, the people are supposed to be kept stupid by burning books and inappropriate this and ungodly that and so forth. Um, how do you respond to people who call you a book burner or a book banner for not wanting these books and these, uh, these materials made available to kids? Well, uh, what, I, what I would say to that is what the Nazis did is they banned books from publishing into circulation to the general public. What we're saying is that we don't want the, these types of books in our school districts, uh, in the school district libraries. We're not saying that you don't have a right to publish your book uh, and have it uh, accessible in, you know, Books a Million or Barnes & Noble. We're just saying that it does not belong in a school library. That is, what, that is the argument here, is that it does not belong in a school library, that these kind of – we don't allow, you know – Playboy in public schools. Why should we allow these types of books in our public schools? You know, it's it's an obvious uh, answer to people like me, and yet it uh, continues to get the pushback from people on the other side who say that what you call pornography, they call affirming. Uh, that this takes people, particularly even just 
you know, it's kind of funny when I say what I'm about to say, even just gays, because it used to be that was the only thing that was the concern here is is gay rights are in equal rights. And now gays are at the back of the line on the LGBTQ spectrum. It's all about the trans individuals. In fact, gays are almost just barely this side of being, you know, some of those straight people. We don't really care about them. They're not going far enough in their in their uh, identities and so forth. But um when it comes to uh, uh, the trans movement and the other letters in the LGBTQ uh, uh, acronym, um, they're saying this is affirming. These people have been kept in the closet for so long. Now they know they can come out safely, and this affirms that what they're feeling and what they want to do is, is, is normal, or they're trying to normalize it anyway. And this is just something that has to be done to make these people people feel better about themselves. We have to put these things out there. It's not intended to stimulate or to or to be vulgar, but we just want these people to know that these acts, if they want to do them and 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 carry them out with one another, are completely okay and normal. Now that's what they're calling this, Dakota. They're calling it affirming. Same thing with the. Um, care you know the uh, you know you start getting into the hormone blockers and you start getting into the uh, surgeries being scheduled and so forth this uh, gender affirming care is important and that's why these books need to be in the library what do you say well I, what i would say to that is you you can do all of that without having to describe it as uh, as described better uh you don't have to have it so, uh, you know i, I don't understand is that we have to uh, assimilate with the LGBTQ and always think of it as sexual. Why, why does it, you know, we, when we talk about uh, heterosexual couples, or we, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, mom and dad, we don't talk uh, in the sexual nature that they are doing with LGBTQ. Uh, and that, that's, that's what we're trying to point out here is that, you can do it in a manner that is not sexual or graphic. I mean, in one of these books, Gender Queer, it illustrates in uh, th- uh, an artist depicts uh, two minor children uh, performing oral sex. How is that allowed? Uh, but you know, it, you know, this you know, straight porn is completely banned in public schools. But you know, just because it, it's gay or it's part of the LGBTQ network, it's 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 okay. You know, I'm I'm glad you said it that way, too, because I've made this argument myself. We're talking to Dakota Sawyer. If you just turned us on, Dakota is the co-host of the uh, Monday Night Roundtable, uh, which uh, you can listen to on our sister station, 1220, with George Satari and Steve uh, Kraus, and uh, they do a phenomenal job of talking about very important issues in our culture there as well. And uh, Dakota, what else are you doing? In addition, you ran for for your first political office already. Um, what what else is going on from a biological, I mean, a biographical perspective? Before I ask the next question, yeah. So what what we're working on is trying to uh, amend the, uh, uh, we're working with the state legislature to amend the obscenity exemption, uh, which uh, the teachers union has basically thrown a bullet train through uh, the obscenity exemption to allow them to show these types of books in public libraries. So I'm working with the state legislature right now uh, to pass legislation uh, on amending that uh, to just Put it back to its original intent, which was classical art, you know, like uh, Michelangelo's David, uh, pieces like that that was originally intended for the obscenity exemption. So I'm working with the legislature on that. Uh, and we're also working on 
uh, with uh, the state legislature on making sure that Derek Marin becomes the Speaker of the House uh, by trying to uh, get some of these state legislatures to come to their senses and say, look, you made a promise uh, to, uh, to the caucus uh, in November that you would back Derek Marin as Speaker, uh, and you broke that promise. So uh, we're trying to get uh, co- uh, coalesce uh, some of these state legislatures to, uh, to come back to their senses and uh, vote for Derek Marin as Speaker of the House. So we're working on those two projects right now. Uh, and that's, I believe, are the most important that are facing the state of Ohio at this current moment. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, very, very, very good causes indeed. So the last thing we'll ask people, going back to the issue at hand now, Dakota, um, about straight pornography. I've said this before. Um, growing up, and not even growing up in my own school libraries, but when I taught a lifetime ago, back in the early 1990s, our school library, and I was an English te- English teacher, so I spent a lot of time there, um, our school library had a magazine rack, and I could find National Geographic, and I could find uh, uh, Sports Illustrated, and I could find a whole host of, uh, of you know, very popular magazines that were popular with kids, you know, Scouting World and this, that, and the other. I never saw Penthouse, never saw Hustler, never saw Playboy on the racks there. And I'm assuming it's because it's pretty well established for almost anybody who knows anything about child psychology that exposing young children to pornographic materials like that is not healthy for them in any way, shape, or form. Yet, we are where we are with what you and I have been talking about for the last 15 minutes. The same type of pornography in full detail and sometimes in pictures, not necessarily full-color photos like penthouse, but in drawings, discussing and almost giving how-to tutorials on how to commit and and, and uh, participate and partake in various sex acts is okay. So that's the, the place I come from when people say, you're for book banning. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm for appropriate placement of materials, adult materials in adult locations, ch- children's materials in, child- in children's locations, including and especially school classrooms and, uh, and libraries. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to say, right? If you want to get into all of this stuff, fine, but we're not going to make it available to young children. If you, You've got to be 18, and if you want to go to a drag show, go to a drag show. You want to go to a strip club, go to a strip club. I don't care what you do. You want to rent porn, porn, pornographic, whatever you do when you're 18 is fine, but we cannot expose and make this available to kids it's about appropriateness not about um censorship i i would totally agree with you bob you know that's the whole point of where we're, uh, at least you know us as conservatives are coming from is that you know this should be age appropriate um and, and you know you don't have you know when you describe gay couples or lesbian couples or any type of couples you don't have to describe it in a sexual nature you you can do that plainly without describing it uh with sexual acts or outlining uh you know what they do to each other that there's a way to do this in an appropriate manner uh, and this is this is not the way to do it at all Dakota Sawyer working very, very hard, opening some eyes, telling some people from a younger person's perspective. And Dakota, what I love about you and what I love about what you do is what I tell my audiences in all of the speeches I give, any of the places that I talk. And I usually see an older, older crowd because people who are older are certainly more conservative minded, generally speaking. And the young generation needs to be exposed to this and needs to understand things from a perspective other than their own. Uh, you're doing that. 
and you are hopefully going to uh, bring a whole lot of other people your age along as well to educate them on things that they are simply being denied access to in terms of other points of view uh, by you know by those who are trying to keep Gen Z on a very, very leftist Marxist uh, path. So thank you for what you're doing. Keep bringing other young people into the fold, my friend, and obviously that's what the key is going to be. Thanks so much, Dakota. Thank you, Bob. You got it. That's Dakota Sawyer joining us. It's 1126. We'll time out here. We'll come back. I've got time to hear from you if you want to be heard. 216-901-0945. Right back. Okay, it's 1129. Remember um, a couple of days ago we talked about MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I did an extended uh, segment, almost a monologue, on her suggestion that it's time for a national divorce between red states and blue states because of irreconcilable divisions. She said this on Twitter, but then she was asked about it on Fox. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, No one wants that. At least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction, and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. So that's her statement in response to the backlash about wanting a national divorce. Well, Daniel Horowitz, our friend from Conservative Review, says we're already in one. I'll explain that and share his thoughts on that next on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. It's 11.37. I'm going to get a call call in here from Sister Mary Grace real quick before we talk about that national divorce and Daniel Horwitz's take on it. Sister Mary Grace, go right ahead. Glorious day. Our God is alive. Abba Father. And I'm telling you, I ordered those books that you were talking about yesterday real quick. They're sending them to me. Wonderful. Oh, honey. God help us all. And I prayed for all the children. That is what it is. You shouldn't be doing this, you know, and that's what we have to know. We have to know that God hears our prayers. And, honey, I just got off of a 24 hours praying. Adonai, he's our God, Abba Father. He's everything to us, and he knows what they're doing to our children. And I do continue to call Congress and this wine, but, um, you know, they choose not to listen. No, they don't, and um, and you know, sister, you would you, thank you for the call for the uh, thank you for the uh, verification or the uh, validation of the um, point here. And it goes back to what I said with Doctor Piper briefly. Um, we had a conversation about you know the Asbury revival, and we talked about whether or not you know uh, what some people view as sin, other people's view as virtue. We're talking about the same thing. It's virtuous to try to protect children. God tells us to protect the most defenseless among us. He tells us it's our responsibility to protect and raise our children in love and in caring and, and in his in, in faith and so forth. 
Um, and in protecting children, sometimes you have to tell other people who are doing or saying or projecting bad things to them to stay away from them. And then somebody calls you a sinner because you're rejecting somebody else for whatever they are. And the reality is there may be a little bit of both. There may be a gray area there. But if I'm going to err on the side of hurting the feelings of somebody that shouldn't be around children because what they are doing is intending to um, to victimize and to recruit and to groom a child into something that is not going to be healthy for them, nor in the image of what God wants, I'm going to err on that side of protecting the child, not hurting, uh, and, and I'm going to hurt the feelings of the individual who says, uh, I want to dance half naked in front of your kids. Sorry. No, you're not. Dennis Prager tweeted this out yesterday, or Facebooked it out, actually, and it's very, very simple. Drag queens do not belong around children, and children do not belong around drag queens. The end. It was a very simple message, and it got repeated thousands of times because it's true. And I don't care what you think about the sin, but having said that, it kind of is one of the reasons why we're talking about this national divorce. I want to share something with you that I, th- I found very interesting. I played for you right before the break <clears throat> the um, clip from Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about why it is that we may be in a you know it may be time for a national divorce, and she essentially said, um, you know, there is no coming back from that which divides red from blue now, and all it leads to is chaos and conflict and strife and in some cases violence. We need a divorce. Well, Daniel Horowitz, one of the best writers and one of the best researchers I know in the conservative uh, realm, working for Conservative Review in the Blaze, wrote an article yesterday saying, we have already begun a national divorce. It's just that it's one-sided. I'm going to read you one paragraph. There's a reason why only people like Marjorie Taylor Greene on the right and not her counterparts on the left are calling for a national divorce. That's because we already have a national divorce in blue states, from the left's perspective. Progressive leftists are perfectly content with the way things are currently because their voice is heard and reflected in the policies of the blue states. Conservatives, on the other hand, are completely disenfranchised because the very rhinos who wax poetic about coming together indeed are together as one with the corrupt ruling class and to have successfully turned red states into pro-gun and anti-abortion versions of blue states on every other issue that matters. Sure, the political class and the left are content with the current one-sided divorce. It's time we file for a two-way divorce, one in which we benefit from the arrangement the same way they do. I think that's so perfectly stated. The left is perfectly content because, as he said, their voices are, are heard and their agendas are driven in the blue states. But in the red states, look at us here in Ohio as a prime example. And when I get Daniel on next, we're going to talk about this. We're a red state. We have a supermajority Republican House. We have a supermajority Republican Senate in, in, uh, in Columbus. We got a Republican governor, a Republican lieutenant governor, a Republican secretary of state, a Republican attorney general. We got a conservative Republican majority in the Supreme Court of this state. We're as red as it gets, right? Yet we are so pathetic and so weak because we cannot stand up for the conservative majority that we have because we're afraid of hurting the feelings of those on the other side. 
Because the rhinos who make up the majority of those majority that I just talked about in the General Assembly and in all the statewide offices, the rhinos who make them up do not do that which conservatives put them in office to do. You understand? Leftists elect leftist leaders, and the leftist leaders do not disappoint. They deliver leftism. They deliver Marxism. They deliver socialism. They deliver identity politics. They deliver gun control. They deliver, I mean, a wide-open border. They deliver high crime and criminal justice reform that lets criminals out to commit more crimes. Leftists elect leftist politicians in leftist states, and they deliver. Conservatives elect Republican politicians in Republican states, and we don't get squat. There's no delivery on anything that we demanded when we put them in their offices. There's nothing that says, here, we'll repay you for giving us your trust to represent you. And remember, that's the nature of Congress. And to a different degree, the executives, but but that's the nature of it. We will represent you and your wishes. Well, we are conservatives, and we have wishes that are not being met and represented. So Daniel's right. There already is a divorce, and the left is happy with the way things are now because they get deliveries. We get promises. Big difference. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate uh, my guests. Thanks to Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks to Dakota Sawyer. Thanks to John Sawyer. Thanks to uh, Johnny Hiles running our show. Thanks to Marcy. Marianne's off today, but thanks to her anyway. And thanks to you for listening. I want you to be well. I want you to be safe. Free for all Friday tomorrow. Stay free. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.